Hello, and welcome back to the Oral Treasures podcast. I'm Matilda, and we'll be bringing you an insider's experience into our rural escapes around the 28 states of India. This podcast is our diary of travels and dialogues. These rough audio notes, reflections, and beautiful food stories from urban, rural, and tribal areas reveal the lesser-known Indian foods, traditions, crafts, and customs, uncovering the elements of one of the world's most complex maps, which no one, as of yet, knows how to read. The Food Map of India. Today's episode is all about mangoes and mythology. Mmm, the mango. Juicy, sweet, yellow goodness, dribbling down your arm as you savor the last bite of the season. Mango is indeed the king of fruits here in India. From the summer season, there is truly a mango mania. For centuries, rulers and kings, artists, royals, have all used the sacred fruit for inspiration. The mango goes all the way back in history as it becomes very much part of our social, religious, and cultural lives. The birds are okay, they get their share. We don't mind the birds, the monkeys are the most Because it's okay, even if they come and they eat the mango, we are not uh, bad, feeling bad about that. But what they do is just take a bite, throw. They just love to create menus. Break branches. Yeah. That's the problem. And we've tried like everything possible. Somebody told us put up posters of bigger size monkeys and they will see. And <laughs> it actually worked. You yeah. not believe it? Two, three days it worked like magic. They saw the posters and they ran away. And then and after some time I think they realized it's just posters. They came down and tore them up. <laughs> that was Rupam Kumar talking about the monkey madness she has. Of course. If humans love it, why wouldn't monkeys too? We spent a lovely evening at her and her husband's Dr. Shashi's farm, Sujata Gardens, when we visited Telangana, a truly magical and beautiful place, just one hour drive away from the center of Hyderabad. Sujata Gardens is 11 acres of land, gifted to Shashi and his brother by their mother, Sujata. Thus, the farm was named after her. As kids, both Shashi and Rupam grew in a very nature-oriented setting. And as parents, they had noticed that when they brought their kids to the land, they became different. They seemed more energetic and excited. So that's when the idea of cultivation started. And they went full on crazy about it, putting their whole heart and efforts into it. When they got the land, it had 500 trees that their parents had planted. Today, They have over 2,000 mango trees and 500 up to 800 other varieties of trees. Actually, so we have the emperor of mangoes, that's Himayat. Uh, We have the king of mangoes, that is Alfonso. And we have Kesar, which is the queen of mangoes. So apart from uh, the all other varieties that we have, yeah, so that's one thing which you won't get to see anywhere else. The emperor, king and queen together. That's Rupam talking about some very special, delicious and fragrant mangoes that grow on their farm. But that's just two kinds. At their farm, they have got about 11 varieties of mangoes. 
According to the National Horticulture Board, in India about one and a half thousand varieties of mango are grown, including 1,000 commercial varieties. Each of the main varieties of mango has a unique taste and flavor, but unfortunately only about 25 to 30 varieties are sold in major cities, and only about five to eight varieties are exported, such as Alfonso, Torapuri, Dashehari, Banganapali, and Kassar. Of these varieties sold in the markets, there are so many hybrid varieties, like the Amrapali, which is a combination of the Dasherahari and Nilum, or the Malika, which is the offspring of the Nilum and Dasherahari. These hybrid mangoes are grafted for their taste and resilience, and interestingly, this taste also differs based on whether the mango was grown in the north or south. For example, take the Rumani variety of southern India. It undergoes a change in the sex ratio of flowers, resulting in sparse fruiting under the North Indian conditions. And if Langra and Deshehari varieties of northern India were grown under the southern sun, the trees would flower and fruit very sparsely. Mangoes ripen at different times of the season giving the early, mid-season, and late-ripened mangoes different tastes and cooking opportunities arise. But not all mangoes are domesticated and cultivated for consumption. Many wild varieties exist. The wild pickle mango, Mangifera indica, known as Apemiri in the local Canada language, is a delicacy in the central western Ghats region of Karnataka because of its unique aroma tangy taste, and special as shape. Locals relish the pickles made of these immature fruits as an integral part of every single meal. The aromatic sap collected from the young fruits is preserved and used to spice up several dishes. It is said that this distinctive fruit is bitter and sour with an aroma so unique and variable that it can range from that of cumin seeds to that of camphor. All around India, it may seem that many varieties are getting lost, but many innovative and community-focused methods of preserving biodiversity of the mango are underway all across India. Like for this wild pickle mango, about 40 different types have been recognized and to some extent cultivated by the farmers in and around the CRC region. India ranks first among the world's mango-producing countries around for about 50% of the world's mango production. The king of fruits, as it is rightly called here in India. But let's get back to Sujata Gardens. Mangoes were very important to Rupam and Sashi, around which they created an event that brought the community together to learn, taste and explore food. And obviously mangoes in a way like never before. They called it the AM party. Um, the AM party concept came up because at that point of time, mango trees were the maximum number of trees that we had. So we came up of, uh, with this concept of plucking your own mangoes uh, at the farm. So um, this generally eventuates in the peak of summer. Uh, so it took us a few years to actually get it rolling. But uh, today it is such that I have to refuse people because of the lack of shade that I have. 
so it's actually started as bringing in families uh, so that they could enjoy what we were enjoying so they yeah first the first arm party was mostly with friends uh, friends of friends relatives very close gathering and then gradually it grew so uh, at the arm party um, they can come climb trees everything see the different varieties of mangoes that we have pluck their own mangoes and uh, they buy it at the ma uh, farm price chemical free mangoes so and we let the mangoes uh, ripen on the tree as much as possible so literally if uh, mango is ready to be sold if you would cut it on the tree it would be almost ripe inside so we let it ripen up to that stage in point actually so there are some uh, parents who come to me and children also who walk into the garden and when they see the fruits on the trees they are like shocked oh my god fruits are growing on the trees we thought we get them from shops so that's the kind of uh, um, interaction children have with nature so um, we need to actually break that and that is why we started this concept of having children coming here seeing nature living with nature being with nature for a while encouraging them to do such activities mangoes as you can hear have created this exciting bond between the community historically we see that mangoes are really important since they feature in so many stories and folklore so let's turn back the clock and travel back in time and learn more about this king of fruits it is said that the wild mango originated in the foothills of the himalayas of india and burma and about 40 to 60 of these trees still grow in india and southeast asia the earliest mention of the mango the great fruit bearer is in the hindu scripture dating back to 4000 bc the classical sanskrit poet kalidasa sang the praises of this mango this translation is by chandra rajan sprays of full blown mango blossoms his sharp arrows honey bees in rows the humming bowstring warrior spring set to break the hearts of love's devotees is now approaching my love the earliest name given to the mango was amraphal it is also referred to in early vedic literature such as the rasala and sahakara and is written about in the upanishad and the puranas which condemn the cutting down of the mango trees as it was holy and sacred the mango tree was also sacred in buddhism mangoes came to represent faith and prosperity among the religion's followers it is said that buddha himself rested and meditated with his fellow monks in the peaceful tranquility of lush mango groves in places such as amrapali and mahachunda and where did the name come from the earliest name amrapal doesn't quite sound like a mango so when did we start calling it as such let's start with mango's journey to the south of india where its name translated to amkai in tamil gradually became mamkai due to the differences in pronunciation the malayali people further changed it to manga the portuguese were fascinated by the fruit on their arrival in kerala and introduced it to the world as mango
by taking it all around the globe. In literature, mangoes tend to be luminescent, orbs dangling in steamy air, glistening with sweetness, sex, and being itself, waiting to be plucked, caressed, and birthed. This is a quote from the Canadian writer Randy Boyagoda. Well, we all know Eros and Cupid. Most likely, some of our foreign listeners may not have been aware that India has one of its own gods of desire, the Vedic Cupid, known as Kamadeva. And his name comes from Kama, desire or longing, and Deva, meaning God. Unlike the Cupid, Kamadeva has no wings, but rides a parrot and has a bow made of sugarcane stalk strung with a line of humming bees. And also, unlike its Greek and Roman equivalents, he doesn't shoot real arrows too. Kama takes his bow and shoots flower-tipped arrows at gods and humans to inspire lust, love, and create a rainbow in between. Now he is mostly portrayed having five different arrows, each tipped with a different flower. As you may guess, one of them is a mango blossom, and it is said to be a particularly potent and intoxicating missile. The Mughals were very fond of uh, mangoes because they came from Kabul, where melon was their favorite fruit, which they wouldn't get here at that time. And when they got mango, they tried to get the different varieties of mangoes by further grafting them. So every emperor had a favorite mango. So uh, Humayun's favorite mango was Himayat, which is also called uh, Imam Pasand. That means the food of the royalty. Uh, then there's another mango, Jahangir. That was again the favorite of uh, Emperor Jahangir. Now there is also a painting of Jahangir which, where he is uh, feeding mangoes to the Shah of Iran. So uh, that shows how uh, fond of mangoes he was. Um, then there was uh, uh, Alfonso, which was actually grafted by a Portuguese um, general and it's named after him. Um, Alfonso also uh, has traveled all the way for the Queen's coronation. Then we have um, Banganapalli, uh, which is uh, also called uh, Benishan. Um, that means in, uh, they have two names because one is a Telugu name and one is an Urdu name. So that means uh, without any spots. So this mango is like spotless. So uh, this mango is also the um, favorite mango of the masses because it's very reasonably priced and it's at a, uh, of a good size. So like this, a uh, lot of mangoes have got their names from their origin. Uh, Kesar gets its name because it is saffron color and uh, Kesar, um, saffron in Hindi translates to Kesar. So that's how all these mangoes actually got their names. And mangoes were also prominent in the Mughal court, although Babur, the first Mughal emperor, didn't much care for mangoes since he was homesick and craved melons and cool mountain breezes of the Kabul and Zabul valleys he came from. His successors, on the contrary, growing up in India, developed much affection for the fruit. The popular folk tales of Akbar, the third Mughal emperor, and his witty sharp advisor Birbal even conclude one mango story, and it goes like this. Akbar and his wife were feasting on mangoes. Akbar sees Birbal coming and pushes all the peels and stones into his wife's plate. 
When Birbal reaches, he says, Look at her plate of peels and stones. She's such a glutton. Birbal says, Oh yes, but not as great as you. You have eaten the skins and the stones as well. These stories, just like fables, help to deliver wisdom and comedy. The manga was relished by common men and royals alike. Akbar's successors, Jahangir and Shah Jahan, awarded their kanzamahs, royal cooks, for their unique creations like ampana, mango juice beverage, amkalauds, sweet and sour mango preserve, and amkamita pulao, a delicate mango dessert made from rice, mangoes, dry fruits, and spices sold all through the summer in Sheikh Jahanabad. Nur Jahan, the 20th wife of the Mughal emperor Jahangir, used a mix of mangoes and roses to create her legendary wines. Childhood and summer holiday memories for most Indians revolve around this legendary fruit that has weaved its way deeply into our cultures and traditions. Everything wonderful about my life can be attributed to three things. A memory, a mango, and a mission. And perhaps a few grapes thrown in. Now just about how deeply and how beyond borders it goes, we're going to take you a bit further out from India. Take a listen to an excerpt from a TEDx talk by Aileen Gordon Carello and her memory of how this mango conversation with her son Aiden led her to create Dirt to Dine. Adventure Camps for Kids. This is our son Aiden, and when he was three years old, we took him down the road to a wonderful ranch called Connolly Ranch to have his birthday party. And there's this passionate group of educators there, and, and this is a farm just for kids. The only thing about this farm is to get kids in touch with farm life. And so what they do there is they have this great dialogue with kids about your food and where it comes from. And one night, Aiden and I, after his birthday party, were settling into our wonderful mother-toddler routine of cracking open a good book right before bed, and we were enjoying the most perfect mango. And I started with this dialogue, Aiden, who do we have to thank for this mango? as they would at Connolly Ranch. And he says without skipping a beat, well, the sun. Well, why the sun? Well, the sun gives the plant energy. Oh, well, who else do we have to thank for this mango? Well, the dirt, of course. Oh, the dirt, why the dirt? Well, because the dirt is how the plant gets food. Ah, but I don't think the mango is grown from here. Who else might we have to thank for that mango? Well, I think we should thank the people who picked it and the people who brought it to us. Now tell us, do you have a favorite mango story that inspired you? Or perhaps a fun myth you would like to share? A folk or a tale? This was a slightly longer podcast that we got for you, but we hope you didn't mind. Write to us on info at Food Forward Inn or drop us a DM on Instagram or Twitter if you have any stories you'd like to share with us on the mangoes. 
That's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, share this with a friend, or many friends, or strangers even. Also, do check out our show notes and follow us on Instagram at Food Forward India for updates of our next exploration. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play so you won't miss our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Last but not least, keep calm and food forward.